Welcome to episode 21 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we talk to the experts and get them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional results in property investing. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm excited to be sharing this time with you. If you love this podcast, click on the subscribe button so that you never miss another episode. If you hate it, uh, maybe keep that all to yourself. There's no question that investing in property requires a strong discipline and no one brings more discipline to their strategy than today's guest, Lachlan Vidler. Co-author of A Military Guide to Property Investing, Lachlan's no-nonsense approach has seen him nominated for two categories in the 2022 Real Estate Business Awards as finalists for both Buyer's Agent of the Year and Rising Star. Lachlan is a firm believer that a healthy property portfolio requires a diversified property mix. Today we're going to talk about why that's important and how you might go about bringing a bit more variety to your investment strategy. Welcome back, Lachlan. Lachlan Vidler, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. Mike, good to be here. You haven't been back since episode 99 of Geared for Growth. I couldn't even tell you what one we're up to now, but um, I could definitely recommend people go back and listen to episode 99 because you've got a very interesting um, past, especially being a Defence Force man, which is a good segue to talk about your new book, which I'm just going to demand that you plug right now. <laughs> um we have a new book out that, uh, that we've, we've had published. It's called A Military Guide to Property Investing. And, uh, you know, it, we really wanted to be able to give something back to the wider property community. And we noticed that there was a pretty, pretty reasonable gap in the market for a contemporary guide, you know, something that people can pick up today and implement everything that's in the book uh, as it stands in the current environment, not not things from 10, 15 years ago. And uh, and we just decided, oh, well, let's put a bit of a military spin on it since, uh, you know, my background's in the military and my co-author, uh, her, her background's also the military. So, uh, you know, I think it's a pretty good read. We've had amazing feedback from everybody. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a good, easy read. It is a good read. It's a great read. It's uh, not self-published. It's been picked up by the big dogs. Um, so that's a testament to, to the quality of it. And I think, you know, having a military background is, is great for a number of different reasons. And a lot of military people are in high demand because of the skills that uh, are taught. Now, we're going to leverage all, all of that in this little segment where we're talking about diversification um, within property investing. So what, what we're getting at is, you know, we, we've gone through this journey where we're investing in property from start to finish. We talked about uh, the importance of a property plan, um, but part of that plan, I think, needs to include diversification. How, how important do you see diversification for property investing? I think it's honestly one of the most important things that an investor needs to think about and implement. And I also think it's one of those things that most don't. Uh, and, and whether it's from a lack of knowledge or experience on it or uh, just because they don't necessarily realize the power and importance of it. There's lots of reasons why it doesn't happen, but I think it's one thing everybody should do. Now, from my perspective, the the, the importance behind um, diversification really could, sort of comes to the fact that there's markets within markets and property markets move really, really differently across Australia at different times. This is probably the worst time to say that statement because this market is not like anyone anything I've ever seen where you kind of look at you know the Heron Todd White um, property clock things and it's all just like, Boom, you know, um, but most 
most of the time, markets move differently because there are different employers, there are different things happening in different state economies and that sort of thing. And um, what we've found in our research is that people tend to buy pretty close to where they live. And I think that's always something that, um, you know, anecdotally you would hear people invest in things that they're... um, you know, that they understand or markets that they believe they, they understand. I mean, is that a reasonable approach to purchase sort of, you know, close to where you're at because you understand the, the, the drivers a little bit more? It's really funny you say that because uh, it's something that I do often uh, struggle to, to convey to investors or prospective investors at times. Uh, just because, you know, everybody has their own unique circumstances, right? And, and you have to take those into account. And I think what I would say to everybody is if you're thinking about investing in, you know, in the suburb across from you or, or even in the same city, right, I would, I would bet that about 80% of that decision-making is being based on emotion, not on facts. And, that's, and, and what I mean by that is you're sitting back, you're going, oh, I know that place or I've been over there or I work near there. I see what's going on. I think it's going great. But it's not necessarily rooted in fact and data and and a good approach. If people are sitting back and they're doing that, but then they're pulling out the data and they're going, you know, look at what's been happening here in terms of the supply and demand over there, look at what's been happening in terms of uh, building and infrastructure and population growth and all those sorts of different things that play a part in property investing. Well, that's a different story, but most people don't look at it from that perspective. I think that's a really interesting point because when you challenge people on this, sometimes you They'll say, "You look. We bought, you know, in the suburb around the corner because you know we we know what's going on, and it made the research easier." And then you know you, you ask questions like, "Okay, well, like, what are the main employers in the area, and, and what is the vacancy rate, and and how's inventory trending?" And the answer is normally, "Oh, well." What I mean is, like, I know where the good schools are. I know that there's graffiti <laughs> down that street and that street's housing commission. I mean, some of that is a value, but it's not necessarily the property metrics that we like to talk about as as research people, right? No, not at all. And I think it, you, you just said that so well. It's people have the local knowledge. They know where the good cafes are. They know things like that. And that's great, right? And, and it does play a part. I don't want to say it doesn't because it does play a part. But ultimately there are a million things that play a bigger impact in if you're going to have a good return from that asset. And I think just because, you know, you, you can make a much better decision without knowing what the hottest coffee spot is in the area rather than making a decision because of the hottest coffee spot, if that mm. makes sense. You know, yeah. I, and, and I think people do confuse that. And I think the other part is just because you live in an area, like for example, let's, let's use a, let's use an example of the North, the North shore of Sydney, right? And um, for anyone who, doesn't know much about North Shore of Sydney, quite a wealthy, affluent area. Uh, and the reason I'm using it as an example is because there are a lot of people who live there that bought houses over, say, the last 10 to 20 years, and they've got a lot of equity sitting in that principal place of residence right now. And I've got a lot of people like that who come to me and they go, oh, you know, I want to buy a house just around the corner. And the thing is, they've got the equity to do that. And a lot of them even have the jobs to support that. But it still doesn't make it a right investment for them. Now, it might be for somebody else, but it doesn't mean it's a good one for them. And I think that that's the big important part is they're still just basing that off their own understanding of the area, but it's not in, in the data and fact and the science behind it. And for while it might be a good investment for some people, it isn't for the majority. Mm. And that's just a general comment about, you know, being in the backyard. And in, and in that case, their property, you would assume, is maybe worth 
$2 million plus. They're looking at maybe buying something, maybe a unit that's 1.5 or 1.8. They're getting close to $4 million, which may be their whole net worth within a... Mm within a space of a few kilometres, right? Yeah. What, what, are there positives to that? And, and, and if, if there are, I'd love to hear them. But otherwise, can you explain the negatives of that? I don't think there's too many positives. I mean, if, if people are just so bent up about going, I want to put all my money into one, one really big high-value investment property rather than splitting it, and often I find people would be better to go and, you know, take your $1.5 million apartment example go and split it down into like two, seven or $800,000 properties first. Like that'll be my, that'll be my initial advice for the general, you know, for the general person listening anyway, but no, having so much in one area, I mean, think about it. If something's going wrong in that area, it's just not prosperous. Your whole net worth is tied to it. it mm. It's just, to me, it's crazy. Like if you want to spend that sort of money, go and buy the same thing, but do it in a totally different city. Right. And you can still have your, your, your fix of buying a really, large value asset, but now you're diversified or diversified a lot more. Or if you've got a house and you really want an apartment, go buy that apartment. You don't need to do it five kilometres down the road, you know? Uh, that's a great point. And I think there's a there's also like a, a price segment argument when it comes to diversification as well, right? Because um, historically – Markets that are appreciating aren't necessarily driven by the top end of town. I think this this market at the moment is is a bit peculiar in that I think the you know these million dollar plus two million dollar plus um, properties have been appreciating at really really accelerated rates during COVID because I think a lot of that big dollars that was spent on the you know the skiing holiday in Aspen every year can't be done <laughs> but but normally it's it's the 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 properties closer to the median prices of suburbs that perform a little bit better than the top end anyway is is that right yeah uh, and look I, I wish I did have a little bit data myself to back up some of that because it is a little bit anecdotal but I totally agree and I think the thing to keep in mind is if you go buy a two million dollar asset and it goes up by 10%, well, that's great. You know, you, it, it goes up 200,000. But the reverse is if it goes down by 10%, and, and most property markets in Australia, you know, that's not really, and it doesn't happen that often. And even at the height of COVID, we didn't see the drops that a lot of the headlines were showing. But if you're just academically, uh, give me a second to talk about it, you know, at that $2 million price, if it goes down by 10%, that's $200,000, right? So that's, that's some big margins you're talking. But if you buy a house at, say, 500000 or 400000 and it goes down by 10%, that's forty or fifty grand. You know, it's completely different. And those, sorts of, those are the sorts of markets that can absorb it a lot more. And you find that with the top end of town, when times are good, times are good. But when times are bad, that can be really bad because mm. cash isn't as available, people aren't as willing to spend money. And, you, and it's very common that you'll see and people can go and scroll on AFR or Domain or whatever and go back and look at some articles from a few years ago where they talk about houses that were purchased a few years before that. And it's not uncommon to see headlines around a property, you know, it was bought for $8 million, it's just sold for $6 million five years later. Mm. You know, those sorts of things happen pretty frequently in the top end of town when things aren't going as well as what they are in this crazy market that we're living in right yeah, now. That, that's a really good point too. And, and what I was thinking when you were talking about um, you know, say an expensive blue chip property going down ten percent, rather than purchasing that, if you'd purchased three properties for, you know, six, seven, five hundred grand each, 
the likelihood is that they're not all going to be going down um, if they're in different locations, right? One of them might be suffering the same results and might go down 10%, but your other two might be up five or two or something like that, right? So that that's really – do you see that as the real power in the diversification argument? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. 100%. 100%. I think it's also, if we, if we take a bit of a demographics uh, perspective as well, if you think about a lot of the jobs that people do that can afford that top end of town, um, you know, they can be quite dependent on what the economy is doing. You know, for example, a lot of the top end, they could work in the financial markets. And if the financial markets aren't having a good time, then it's likely that wages are going to be a lot short, smaller, bonuses will be smaller. So overall, there's less cash flow to go around. Mm. But exactly like you were saying with that whole, well, maybe you buy two or three in a 500 or $600,000 or $700,000 market. A lot of people who are playing in that end, their jobs might be a little bit more, you know, blue collar and it's not as reliant on whether the economy is absolutely booming along or not. You know, these are people that might just be teachers or nurses or just more day-to-day typical average jobs that don't have those big fluctuations. So when times aren't going great, they can absorb it that, that, that little bit better than the top end that mm. might be feeling those repercussions. So what is diversification in property investing? What are the real options? We talked about, say, price point diversification. So rather than you know, going, going out there and knocking over the fence with a $2 million investment property, you could buy different, um, different price points or multiple properties. But you would, I assume, then want them in, in different areas. But are we, are we, with diversification, should we be talking about property types as well, like houses and, and units or... Is it more a location-driven thing? You think? I think it's both. I mean, like you said, you've got you've got price diversification or price segmentation. You then can move into that that geographic diversification, and then even within that, it, you know, you could go. All right, I want to be in capital cities, but then past that, you go. Okay, well, I also want to throw in some big regionals. So there can be geographic diversification in terms of that as well, uh, and then you can get down to asset types. And I mean, you you look at. You can have houses, you can have units, you can have townhouses, you can have villas, you can have, uh, you know, you can't really buy a granny flat, but you can buy properties that might have other additions to it, like a granny flat or a duplex, for example. Uh, personally, you know, I, I don't see many situations where uh, I would ever want to go and buy uh, an apartment or a townhouse or a villa or that sort of thing. Uh, and, and my clients also feel that way. But, you know, you then look at the other side of, well, then there's commercial assets and within commercial, you've got a few different streams like office and industrial uh, and I'm forgetting what the other one is at the moment, uh, but you've got, the, you've got the different assets within um, uh, retail. That's the other one, retail, office, yeah. industrial, retail for commercial. Uh, and then you've got, you, you know, you've got other segments within that. And then you can also, you know, if you want to take an even further leap, you can then look at things like property funds. And although, the, you know, the underlying asset in them is going to typically be a commercial type uh, property, if you're talking about different ways you can get exposure to the property market, well, um, uh, A-REITs, uh, Australian Real Estate Investment Trust, or unlisted property funds 
There are other ways that you can look at it. So there's lots of different ways an investor who wants to be exposed to property can do it. It's just about looking back at your circumstance and working out what might be best. You went you went even deeper than I expected then, which was fantastic. <laughs> and it made me kind of think, like, if you have a look at your super fund, especially if you have a financial planner that's looking after it for you, um, you know, I, I am fairly bullish on property and my financial planner knows that. So if you have a look at my diversification, you'll see a bit of property in there. But, you know, when you, when you look at anyone's um, super investment, you're going to find quite a lot of diversification in there, right? You're going to see you know, very low risk things like bonds and cash. And then you might see uh, many of them are getting into a bit of crypto. That's a whole different episode. Um, you know, and, and people are, you know, some of the doomsday people at the moment are, are getting into gold bullion and stuff like that, right? <laughs> we You can get crazy with it. But when it comes to diversifying just within property investing, I think you wrap that all up um, pretty well. I wanted to share some data that, that we collected where we looked at a thousand um residential property investors and our, our data may um, put your hair on end it, it showed that 10.8 percent of our investors buy within two kilometers of where they live um, that's very very close and 60.1 percent purchase within 50 k's of where they live so i'm assuming that um as we talked about before, the benefit here is they feel they know the area fairly well, but I also think it's probably the ability to drive um, past the property or at least physically inspect it themselves because the vast, vast majority buy within 200 k's of where they live. Do you think that's a thing? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, we're having a chat and it's a Wednesday uh, and this week alone I've already spoken with uh, a lot of clients and prospective clients, but I've already had six different conversations about exactly this of people going, you know, I want to have it somewhere that I can get to if I need to or all those sorts of things. And the first thing I say to everybody is why mm. tell me why you need it to be that close. And they'll go, Oh, well, you know, if there's a problem that then we can get there and fix it. And I go, okay, well, are you a plumber? Well, no, I'm a lawyer. Okay. Well then what are you going to get out in the tools and do it yourself? Cause we both know that that's not going to happen. And if you're talking about, you know, vetting tradespeople or something, well, that's why you get a really good property manager. Mm. And, and I guess more than anything, uh, property managers, that's why they're worth their weight in gold because you trust them. And if they're good, they'll be able to manage anything that goes wrong. So that data, I'll be honest, I'm, uh, I'm surprised at, uh, at just how many, you know, I knew that there was lots, but to me, that's, that's massive. I, I think that there's a lot of people, if that's the case, um, could use a little bit more diversification in their uh, in their portfolios, at least from a geographic perspective. I'll send you that one. We're going to keep updating that as well. But look, I I understand that argument a little bit. I mean, I, I've had properties in other states where they say, "Look, um, we had to get an electrician in to change a light bulb, and it's like one hundred and eighty dollars." I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Like. I would have just driven there and done it myself. But then, okay, well, let, let's say that costs you a couple of grand over the course of a year that you could actually do it or you are a plumber and you would do it just assuming that you you don't get home from a day's plumbing and think oh, the last thing I want to do is plumb. <laughs> um, but but what is that costing you in comparison with what is it saving you? You might be able to save a couple of grand because you can go and do the work. But if you're investing in a market around the corner that's growing at, say, 2%, but 
you were looking at property with a buyer's agent like yourself that says, this is the area that I recommend that's growing at 7%. I mean, obviously it depends on the purchase price and I'm not that great at doing maths in my head, but we're talking tens of thousands of dollars difference, right? Yeah, absolutely. I just I just quickly did a bit of maths here. Good. And uh, look, it ignores, the, it, it ignores compounding, right? But say you had a $500,000 property or you're looking at a $500,000 property, and then by going somewhere not nearby, you get an extra 3%. That's 15 grand mm. of growth extra, right? And even if we want to be really, 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 really liberal and say that there's an extra $5,000 worth of, um, of expenses that you incur because, you know, you, you have to get somebody in to do it, you don't do it yourself. And I think that that's extremely generous. You're still $10,000 better off, mm. right? And to me, I think that it's people love numbers, right? There's the numbers right there. You're ten thousand dollars better off on a five hundred thousand dollar property if you get a three percent better growth being elsewhere. And and that I think is a pretty conservative number. I, I think if you're just randomly purchasing in your suburb to say that there aren't suburbs in the whole of Australia that could do five percent better, I think it's yep. rubbish. Um yep. Lachlan, I would like to round this one out with your top tips when it comes to diversification, if you wouldn't mind. It's a good question. Top tips. I've been racking my brain since uh, since we decided to sit down and uh, <laughs> and do this, and I've been trying to think of what would be what would be valuable. And I think my top tip is actually diversify. Mm. To me, I think that that's the most important thing is actually do it. People think about it, people talk about it, but nothing is better than action. And I would say that. My number one type of diversification would be geographic. My second would then be price. Uh, and then my third would be asset. And the reason I put asset last is because if you just say residential to commercial, for example, and you know we always talk about a few others, but if you just talk about that as broad as, as that, commercial can be really hard to access for a lot of people. So it can be difficult to get some of the asset yes. diversification, but geographic and price, that should be within everybody's remit to do. Um, and then I guess my second uh, top tip uh, is that every, I think everybody just sit down and, and just learn a little bit about risk uh, in, in an academic sense and diversification because it's all good and well to sit here and, if, and, and we can say like, you know, if you have a property in Brisbane, we'll buy your next one in Melbourne, right? We can say that. But if you don't understand why you're doing it, you're not really going to understand the benefits and you're not going to understand how to, you know, create solutions when problems come about or to, you know, make the best of a situation. So I guess my second hot tip or top tip is do a bit of learning so you actually understand what diversification means and the benefits that it can get you because it does go a lot deeper than what we talked about uh, in this chat. And, and I think a lot of people sort of, um, you know, overestimate what their knowledge is on, on these topics and, and all it takes would be half an hour every night for a week and, you, you know, your, your, your knowledge would skyrocket. Mm. Or even better, pay someone so you can spend your nights watching Netflix. <laughs> well, I can't just say that openly. It's, <laughs> I've got to let you say that, but uh, exactly right, you know. I've got to be the today. bad guy. Or, or cycling <laughs> on an indoor trainer because someone tricked you into fundraising for charity, which is my problem. <laughs> um, no, I'm enjoying that. Look, um, I want uh, our listeners to even more enjoy this conversation, and we're going to do that by giving them a book code. So they can, I assume, I don't even know what 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 does that mean? They're gonna, they, you're gonna knock a bit off the top of this uh, military investing guide. Yeah, we'll knock a bit off the top. So, uh, for for those of you listening that are interested to, I guess, get your hands on um, Australia's best 
new property investing book, <laughs> A Military Guide to Property Investing, uh, head over to our website, atlaspropertygroup.com.au, uh, and then you'll see up the top, there's a tab for the book. I think it's called Shop. And if you click on that and use the code G4G, so geared for growth, but just G4G, uh, then that'll get you $15 off the book, which is basically half price. So uh, that's that's our offer to everybody so to help people get their hands on it. Brilliant. G4G, that's geared for growth. Uh, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for um, being so generous with that and thank you for coming back on the show. It's been a real pleasure. No, thanks for having me, Mike. It was a great conversation. Cheers. <laughs>